I don't know how you have felt um, throughout this series, this I I Say to You series we've been on. This is week six, I think, of it. And I don't know how you have felt um, as we've listened to Jesus talk, like share the command and then and then like lay his teaching right down next to it. And it, it just um, it just felt like, like like one gut punch after another, right? Because we like Jesus goes, this is how you should live in the kingdom. And we're just going, oh man. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. But <laughs> I, I look at that and it's like like oh my goodness, like there's there's so much more, right? Like I could I'd be doing and and, and thinking and and often my my behavior, my beliefs don't don't always uh, line up, and and so it's been it's been tough uh, the last the last six weeks, and so I appreciate you you coming today. I appreciate you um, b- being here and like coming back for more uh, each each week, um, but but I feel like we've we've like um, we've got to this um, point where we've just like. Like it's been one too many hit, hits, right? And and it's one too many hits, and so like I'm just spiritually kind of laid out uh, on the ground, and and we're like, okay, um, today we're gonna we're gonna talk about love, and so that's that's gonna be good, right? It's gonna be a breather. God loves us. We're gonna talk about that, um, and I'd like to tell you that we're we're gonna get some help. We're gonna feel better today at the end of the um, message, but um, wh- what? What I'm afraid we're going to experience is like we're going to just get kicked while we're down, right? <laughs> so as we go through the message today, that's just going to be kind of how it 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 feels. Um, so I like like I'm kidding a, a little bit of, about that, but um, the, the teachings of Jesus in in the Sermon on the Mount, so Matthew uh, five, six, and seven, the, the teachings of of Jesus, they're supposed to make us feel like we're swimming in the deep end, right? Like we're we're supposed to have this um, tension. We're supposed to feel like we're spiritually drowning um, a, a little bit. Like there's like there's no way we can adequately follow Jesus. You know, when we come to the teaching of Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount, it's Jesus kind of laying out the priorities and the principles of, of how to live and how to act as his disciple in the kingdom of God. Like we're supposed to come to this point where, where he's like, I, how do I do that? Like there's no way I can live up to the things that Jesus has been saying, the things he's been telling me that I should I should do like yeah I'm not going to murder but man I'm angry with people all the time and and I just don't know if I um, c- can do this and I, I want you to know that that if you're feeling that way that's good <laughs> that really is good that's exactly where you're supposed to be because listen we're not supposed to be able to to live this life in in the way that that God has called us to through through Jesus we're not supposed to to be able um, to do that. Being a disciple is difficult, and we're not supposed to be able to do it on our own. It's the reason that Jesus tells his disciples at the end that there is another helper who will come. And that helper is called Holy Spirit, and he'll live inside of the believer and help us to to follow and to find strength as, as we try to live out these things that Jesus is, is telling us. And, and he helps us kind of create space w- within us to do the things that we are incapable of doing without him. And, and not only the things that we're incapable of doing without Holy Spirit's power in our lives, but there are things that we would not even consider, we wouldn't even think about doing unless the Holy Spirit was active in us and moving us toward those things. And so what we're going to hear today, uh, none of us would consider on our own without Holy Spirit pushing us and, and prompting us and, and moving us toward those things, okay? What we're going to hear today, we just, like, like none of us, would go, yeah, that's the way I want to act. It just, it's just not, it's not the way we function 
in our society. So I, I just want to just get that out of the way. Like, um, if you feel a little overwhelmed, if you feel a little out of breath um, spiritually, that's exactly how you're supposed to feel um, right now. So uh, earlier this year, Andy and I made a trip to uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and we went down. Um, uh, Andrea's uh, cousin, a little older than her, uh, had some health complications and passed away, and we went down to be with the family for her um, funeral service. But while we were there, um, I got to uh, check something off my um, like adult bucket list. I'm not a big bucket list person, but... Um, I, my parents took me to the Grand Canyon when I was, like, really small. Like, I, like I have no recollection, no memory of it whatsoever. Like, I've seen pictures, and, the, and they're like, that's you, but I've no, I, didn't, I don't remember at all. <laughs> uh, and so that was one of the things I, I wanted to do. We, we never did take our kids um, there when they were little, and so I'm like, we're going to be not very far, a few hours from the Grand Canyon, and I really want to go um, see that and so we got to drive up um and and i was just like i was not expecting to just be blown away by the the sheer size um the 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 magnitude of the the grand can i like i literally i i was mesmerized by it um and, and in fact as we pulled into the the grand canyon we went through the little guard thing or whatever and we turned on this road and I expected to, like, not see the Grand Canyon, like, for a long time. I expected that we were going to drive, like, I'd looked at the map. We were going to drive for a long time before we'd be able to see um, any part of it, I, I thought. And, and we got just a few minutes down this little road, and, you know, I'm just tootling along, like, getting to the destination. I was going to this point on the map that said you should go there. And I, I remember we're driving and we're talking, and I look out my window, and there it was. Like, I could see, like, through the trees, you could see it. And I was like, ah, oh, my goodness. My heart started beating, even back then. My heart started beating, like, oh, my goodness. And, I, and, and we turned around really quick, and I found a parking spot, and I like jumped out of the car, and I, I ran up. In fact, I was going to show you a, a, a video. Maybe I'll post it later on social media. I don't know. I was going to show you a video. Like, I jumped out of the car. I got my phone. I put the video on, and I recorded, like, my first like, like here's the Grand Canyon, walking towards the Grand Canyon and, and looking at it, um, and it's and it's pretty. Uh, it's, it was it was awesome. Like I just it was was an overwhelming um, moment. Despite Andrea being behind me, like like I was a little kid again, and going, "Don't get too close! Stop! Don't go!" Because you know I was like right up to the end. Like, Woo! This is exciting. Um, and, and so you can hear in the background, like, uh, whatever. Anyway, that's, that's life. If you're a man, you, you know that. <laughs> you know that voice uh, you've heard before. And I was just like, it was just really um, cool. I was just really overwhelmed. I did not expect to feel um, so uh, small and insignificant as I stood on the, on the edge. In fact, I have a, a picture of it. Um, yeah, there, there we are. Uh, standing next to the Grand Canyon. You know, um, no matter how hard, uh, no, no matter how much I, I tried to, as I, as I stood there on the edge to kind of take in the, the, what I was seeing, um, I, I couldn't take it all in, right? Like, th there are some things that you see, there's some things that you experience that just are, they're, they're just bigger than like you have capacity for, right? I mean, like, like the, the the day that you get married, and the and the doors open up, and she walks in from the back of the church. That like you just can't, you just can't like fully comprehend. I mean, it's just too much, and that and that's um, how it was for me as I stood on the edge and and looked across the Grand Canyon, um, and and I stared at this enormous section of of the canyon that was before me and and I was just I was just overcome by by just the, the, this gigantic section that I could see and and the, and my next thought was about what I'm looking at that that has overwhelmed me <laughs> that like is just too much to take in what I'm looking at is is not all there is to see so let me let me show you I have this um, let's go to the next one. 
uh, the next picture on the thing. There we go. Okay, I don't know if you can see this very well. Here's where I was standing. I, I, like I zoomed in on the map, like, oh yeah, I remember that. This is exactly um, where we were standing, right on the edge. And let me show you, like this is the Grand Canyon, right? This huge thing that goes all the way across the screen. So go to, go to the next um, slide. Okay, <laughs> that's what I could see. That's, that's how much of the Grand Canyon was visible to me. And I was completely overwhelmed by that. And, and I was trying to, to, to like, process that, that this is so much bigger than I can even imagine. It's, it's, it's enormous. And, and I think that if you spent a lot of time, like if you worked there, right, or you had a season pass or whatever, I don't know if you went there a lot, I think that you would get used to it. Like you'd get used to the, just the size of the Grand Canyon. But I don't think you would ever fully comprehend it like it's just too much it's just it's just too big and I, and I, I share I share this with you because um, for the last six weeks we we've been like standing on the edge of of Jesus teaching and and we've been trying to imagine how to actually live the kind of life that Jesus is presenting us and, and like he's like he's laying out for us like this is how you should live this um, kingdom life and and we just can't fully comprehend the implications of, of what Jesus is telling us like it's just it's it's too much we can't um, we can't follow it we can't comprehend the implications of a life completely surrendered completely surrendered and devoted to King Jesus um, and, and the kingdom living. Like, it's just too much. And, and so um, today, as we, as we wrap up the series, um, once again, Jesus is going to, to, like, quote a command. He's like, here's the, here's the command from the Old Testament law, that what, what God told the Israelites in Exodus or Leviticus, like, here's the covenant relationship between us. Um, and, and, and it, it, like he, he shares the command or, or sometimes as we've looked through it, he shares like the, the popular understanding of that command. And so we're able to tie those in um, to, together pretty good. But then he's going to set up his teaching like right alongside it. And, and so for the Jewish person, what, what Jesus was saying was like he, like he wasn't giving commentary on the law of God, which is what all the other religious leaders did, right? They just talked about what God had said, like what, what we do on Sunday mornings, like this is what they did. Well, here's what God said, and here's how we think it applies to our life and how it works. And so what Jesus said was like, here's this command, but here's what I'm telling you. And, and he set up his, his way of living in the kingdom right alongside of, of God's command. And so the Jewish people would have understood that Jesus was saying, um, my words and the words of God um, are, are equal. They're on the same plane. And that's one of the reasons why people hated Jesus so much. Religious leaders did. And, and so, um, like we've discovered each week together that um, Jesus is laying out this expectation that our heart and our hands um, have to work together. They've got to function together. That, that, that our beliefs and our behaviors should be in sync. It should be the same. Um, or to quote the great philosopher uh, Paula Abdul, the word and the deed must go hand in hand. You, you remember that, right? Some of you. I hope you're singing that in your head right now. It's a good, uh, good song. <laughs> so, um, so that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what we've been looking at. So let's just dive in. We're going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 5, and we're going to start in 38, uh, 38 to 42, I, I think it is. Oh, dang it. Um, yeah, I don't remember. I don't know. I don't remember. So Julie is gone this week. So Tina's filling in. Thank you, Tina, by the way. Um, but I don't remember how to, how to get rid of that. So um, look, you can go to uh, my message notes. at uh, Just go to the website, reallifecc.us on your mobile device. Click on my message notes. And this will be there. And you can follow along there if you can't um, see this very well. And maybe as we move through the service, it'll 
change or maybe I did something wrong. I don't, I don't remember. Okay, anyway, uh, here's what it says. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, I tell you, um, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, it's a, it's the outer cloak that they would wear. Let him have your cloak as well. That's the inner uh, one that you wear next to your body. Um, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would, uh, who would borrow from you. So this command comes from Leviticus chapter 24. So if we want to know where we're getting this command from God. It comes from Leviticus chapter 24, where God tells the people of Israel that when somebody intentionally uh, harms another person in a serious way, that um, what they did should be done to them. Okay, that's the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth part. That, that's what God said. God said, look, if you, if you lie and wait for your neighbor, if you steal from them, if you intentionally, like if you get in a fight and you break a bone in their body or you do something um, to them, like then, then they have the right to do that to you. And, and if you um, kill somebody, and if you intentionally kill them, or this was, if, you until, if you kill them, um, not necessarily intentionally, but because you weren't paying attention. So I think the specific thing is if, if, um, if you have an ax and, and somebody asks to borrow it and, and you know that the ax head is loose on the handle and you don't fix it and you let somebody borrow it and they swing the ax and the ax head comes off and it hits somebody else and kills them, you are liable and that family of the dead person has the, the legal right to take your life because you were negligent. You knew that the axe head was loose and, and you did not fix it. So you're, you're liable, all right? So that's, that's what um, the, the scripture is taking. Like fact, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. That's the uh, literal um, scripture in Leviticus 19.18. And then this wasn't about being fair, right? It was about um, keeping people from committing a crime against somebody else. If, if I know that whatever I do to somebody else is going to be done to me, I'm going to be more careful about what I do to them, right? Like that's what they think. That's, what, that's the way it should be. But that's not always um, the the way it is. It was basically the antithesis of the golden rule, right? The golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, and the law in Leviticus was saying um, when you uh, do something wrong to somebody, they have the right to do that to you. That, that's, uh, that's the law, pretty simple. Um, so this law was about criminals and consequences, right? That's what he's dealing with. If you break the law, if you're negligent and somebody else is hurt, then they have the right to, to come out and, and take their um, pound of flesh. Um, but, but Jesus then, like he shakes things uh, up here. And when he mentions this verse, he's not talking about the offender, which is what we want, right? We want to deal with the guy who broke in, the guy who beat you up, the guy who did, committed the crime. We want to talk about what's going to happen to them. Let's deal with them. And Jesus kind of leaves the offender out of it, and he deals with the offended. So this person commits a crime, and, and criminals commit crimes, uh, right? But the question really is, for Jesus, how does the offended deal with the one who has offended them, with the offender? That's Jesus' point. Now, Jesus, like, he totally turned this up on its head. Like, nobody else dealt with this. They, they all deal with with the offender, with the one who has wronged. Um, but Jesus says, do not resist the one who is evil. And, and you're like, what? Wait, that's the one we're talking about, right? That's the one. We want punishment. We want condemnation. We want our pound of flesh. The offender, you, you did it. You blew it. It's your fault. We're coming after you. And Jesus says, no, no, no. We're going to talk about the one who's offended. And so Jesus exposes something deep within us 
by addressing the Christian instead of the criminal. Um, And so Justin talked about that last week, right? We want to see justice done toward others, but we want to receive grace from God. God, uh, where is a cop when you need one to stop that speeder? Um, But when I'm speeding down the road, I have a reason, and and God, don't let there be any cops. (laughs) Well, like, that's not the same, right? Um, So it it goes um, beyond just the the criminal and, and the Christian, right? It's like the criminal isn't a part of Jesus' kingdom. He hasn't chosen to live as a, a part of Jesus' kingdom. He hasn't pledged allegiance to King Jesus. And so the criminal isn't bound to the same behaviors that we as believers are bound to. And so Jesus isn't dealing with people outside of the kingdom. He's like, this is, this is how the person inside the kingdom should live. And that's what he's been talking about um, all through Matthew chapter 5. So the rest of this section um, of, of, of Scripture, Jesus like gives examples of uh, literally everyday situation. So, so what he's um, what he's talking about here, like turning um, the cheek and, and and giving your cloak and going the extra mile. Th- these are like everyday situations that the Jewish people would have been engaged in. They all would have understood exactly um, what Jesus was sh- saying. And so, um, let, let me give you a few. Uh, I'll pick out just two um, examples from this and just share with you a little bit about what it it, it might have be, been like. So, let's say you're a Jewish. Um, fisherman, okay, and uh, you've been out on the Sea of Galilee all night, and you're coming back in. It's been a long night. You've had a good night. You've caught a lot of, of fish, and you're coming back into town. You've loaded them out. You've mended the nets. Um, you've, you've got them in have, like the wagon or whatever. You're carrying them in, and as you approach the town, um, there is the, uh, the, the Roman tax collector booth on the side of the road, and, and so this is like a toll booth, right? Uh, And so as you're coming up the road with your catch of fish, you know, um, like, there's a line there already. You're going to have to stop at the booth, and you're going to have to pay the Roman tax on what you've collected, what the fish that you have caught. The the problem that you have is that you have caught more fish than money you have in your pocket to pay the tax on those fish. And and so what would have happened in, in that day was, you know, let's say you caught 20 fish, but you only had enough money to pay the tax on 10 fish. You don't get to keep those other 10 fish. Like they, they take those, right? And so you don't get them. Um, and so, you know, you've got family and, and friends and, and people who are waiting for their fish for that day because that's what they're going to eat that day. And you're excited because you caught 20 fish, but you get to the tax collector. Let's say it's Matthew because he was a disciple, but he was a tax collector before that. And so Matthew is in the tax collector's booth, and you come up, and, and he, he looks at your catch, he assesses your tax, and you say, I don't have enough money um, to, to pay for all of that. And, and Matthew, um, because he's a tax collector, every Jewish person hated tax collectors, and Matthew understands, like he knows every day he gets up and goes, this is going to be a terrible day. Like I'm going to make buckets of money, but nobody is going to like me. And so Matthew like, just starts out every day in a foul mood. And, and so, you know, he says, here's how much you owe, and then you go, I don't have enough to pay it. And Matthew stands up from his tax collector booth, and like stuff goes flying, and he, and he just backhands you across the face. And he, and he starts just berating you, you stupid, poor, foolish fisherman. How dare you come to my booth, and you don't even have enough money to pay the tax, and what are you doing? You've just wasted these fish, and he just, he just pours it all out on, on you um, as you are standing there in front of your friends um, who are all waiting to pay. Like everybody is looking at, at what's going on. And so, and so the, the question is, I'm a disciple of Jesus. How do I react to Matthew? How, how do I, like in, in just the like normal every day, you can't do anything because on either side of Matthew are two Roman centurion. And if you respond negatively to him if if you if you try to retaliate physically they literally will just break your legs like that's what that's what they did this normal everyday life and so you you can't do anything you cannot respond um to, to matthew and so as a as a christian as a disciple what do you do so maybe maybe you're not a fisherman maybe you're just a, you do work some other way and on on the sabbath on saturday you and your family have gone down to the sea of galilee for a, for a nice um, afternoon, just hanging out 
um, by the water. And the kids are playing in the, in the water, and you're just having a, a, a good day. And as you're sitting there, your Jewish um, family, an extended family, and you're all there, uh, the, the Roman um, soldiers come around the, the bend of the Sea of Galilee, and they're on their way back. They're finishing up their rounds, and they're on their way back. Um, to, to town and to the barracks and as they approach your family w- one of the soldiers he's, he's at the end of his shift he's hot he's sweaty just he's in bad mood and he comes up to you and he draws his sword and he and he takes his pack off and he throws it on the ground and he points his sword at you and he says hey you Jew get up and take my pack up to the top of the hill now as a as a Roman soldier he has every right to demand that you carry his bag at least a mile. They could get anybody they wanted to. They could stop him. They say, you carry my bag for a mile. And you had to do that. And if you didn't, he had the legal right to kill you for not carrying his bag. And so how does a believer, how does a disciple respond? This teaching that Jesus was giving at the, at the end of this section of Scripture, you just have to know that it was crazy. <laughs> Nobody had ever said anything like this before. Nobody had ever dealt with the law and the commands of God like Jesus did. And so the people who were listening to him uh, that day were, were just like, like this guy is, um, is, is nuts, <laughs> A lot of things that Jesus said, and a lot of things that God said, they were hotly debated, and so there was, it were, they're difficult, and so people debated them and tried to say, well, this is, is this really what he meant? Is that what he meant? And they try to parse those things out. And so some come away from this teaching of, of Jesus in, in Matthew 5 with the idea that followers of Jesus, that disciples are to be passive, that as Christians we're to be, we're to be pacifists. We're not supposed to retaliate or respond to people um, when, they, when they wrong us, that no matter what someone does, as believers, we have the moral obligation to do nothing, to take it, to, to just be a doormat um, uh, to anyone who wants to just walk all over us. And so there's a lot of people, there's a lot of Christians, there's a lot of very smart uh, Christians who look at this uh, verse in, in Matthew 5 and they go, um, as a Christian, I, I should be passive. I, I shouldn't respond when anything is, is done to me. Um, but I want you to know today that is not what Jesus is saying. In fact, Jesus has a completely, it's the opposite, uh, really, uh, of passivity, passivity is, is what he's talking about. And, and so um, Jesus isn't talking about um, revenge or retaliation but he's also not talking about being passive and doing nothing, okay? There's, a, there's another specific area that Jesus is, is dealing with right here. And, and so um, here's how it plays out in the two examples I, I gave you a, a minute ago. You've come to the tax collector's booth. You don't have enough money. You've told Matthew. He has, he has just smacked you across the face. This is a huge insult, by the way. The Jewish person um, to slap you with the back of his hand across the face. It was, you are dirt, you are nobody, you are nothing. It was a huge uh, offense in, in, that, in that culture. Um, even, even today in the, in the Middle East, this is not, a, just a, you don't want that to happen. And so, and so Matthew has backhanded you. He has, he, has, he has just ripped into you and called you every name imaginable in front of all your friends and, and, and neighbors. He's publicly humiliated you for not having enough money to pay this tax. So you, you, I mean, you already feel bad, and now it's, it's, just, it's just worse. And, and so um, you, you don't retaliate, right? You, you can't retaliate because the guards are, are there. Um, but you don't just hang your head and, and take it and just, like, like, be quiet and just walk away. What Jesus is saying here is that in that moment, you find a space within yourself, which, which was not there before you entered into a relationship with Jesus, right? I'm like, the Holy Spirit is clearing a place within you. And so you, you find this space inside of you. Um, because you recognize the overwhelming love that God has for you in Jesus, 
and, and you respond and you say, sir, um, you, you must be having a really bad day. Um, do you need to get any more out? None of us would respond that way, right? If somebody backhands me in the street, <laughs> let me just tell you, I, um, I was in one fight. I've been in one fight in my whole entire life. Uh, I, I was in third grade. I was on the playground, and I was heckling somebody, playing dodgeball or something, and they didn't like it, and they came off the, they came off the court to teach me a lesson. Um, and I beat the crap out of them. I, I didn't throw a punch, um, by the way, uh, but he came running at me, and I had seen just enough karate movies to know that I could lift my leg up, and he smacked right into my leg and fell on the ground, and then that made him uh, mad, uh, and so he got up, and I was the tallest kid in um, third grade by a long way, and, uh, and so he, he <laughs> this is dumb, <laughs> this story is not about what a great fighter I am, but what a really poor fighter he was and so he ran into my foot um, and fell down and then he got up and he came at me but he bent over and and I kind of did this and his head got stuck between my legs and I grabbed him by the belt loop and I just shoved him through my legs and he went tumbling on the ground and got up I'm gonna get you and he went back to playing dodgeball so I won uh the moral to that story um uh but (laughs) So, I, so that's the only fight I've ever been in in my life. But I'm just going to tell you that if somebody walked up out of the blue and punched me in the face, um, I'm ready, right? Let, let's go. Like, it's on. <laughs> uh, I, like, my first instinct is not, you want another free one? I'll just stand here while you hit me again. I guess that's totally crazy. So, so the Roman um, soldier with the garrison comes and he and he stops you and he gets his sword out. And he said, pick up my bag and take it up to, to the hill. And, and Jesus is saying the response of a disciple is, um, oh, man, you, you look hot and sweaty and miserable. I bet you've had a long and, and difficult night. Would you mind, would you give me the honor of carrying your bag to the barracks and not just stopping at the top of the hill? Now, trust me, uh, it sounded crazy to the people sitting in the grass listening to Jesus that day, 2,000 years ago. They, they had the same response that, that you have. That's ridiculous. Who uh, would even um, um, do, do that? Why would anybody respond in a situation um, like that? Like, what could possibly motivate a person to set aside their personal priority in order to make room for somebody else's interest. Who would do that? Like that's not seen in the world. Have you ever been to an aquarium where they have the, the things set up in the, like where you can touch them in the water? You remember those? And, and they always have those um, sea minimines. I don't know what, it's a terrible word, it's horrible, English language is difficult. Um, But there are those things in there that like, they look pretty and they're kind of floating in the water, but when you you touch them, they they close up, right? They, They protect themselves. That's the way we respond. That's what we do. That's human nature to protect ourselves. Why would anybody... Why would anybody open themselves up uh, uh, to this? And, and so let me, let me just tell you, like Jesus is going to, to, to give it a name, and, and he's going to call it, I wish you could see it better, um, but the next slide, he calls it agape. He says this, this is the way that you respond in, in, those, um, in those moments. T- Tim Mackey says this, the kingdom response in these scenarios The kingdom response, the response of a disciple of Jesus to evil and wrongdoing is not to do nothing. That would be the pacifist way. The pacifist would just go, whatever. What he says is, uh, it's not to do nothing. It is to do agape. Now, if you're a Christian, you've been around church for a long time, you, you, you know that that 
a word, agape, is one of the ways that our Bible translates love. So there's, um, there's four Greek words that are all translated in our Bible as one word. The English is bad. This is just not good. Um, and, and so there, there are four different um, ways, and I don't even know if I can remember. There's, there's storge and there's, uh, there's phileo. Storge is like family love. Phileo is, is like brotherly, camaraderie love. There's, um, there's eros, which is romantic or passionate love. It's where we get the word erotic. Um, and then there is agape. And the, and the closest translation we have to agape would be like unconditional love. But, but in Scripture, when the scribes, when they're translating the Bible from its original Hebrew and Aramaic into Greek very early on, and they came to these multiple different words for love, they, they didn't go to a dictionary to define agape. What they did was they looked at Scripture they looked at the way Jesus interacted with people, and then they, they built this word to, to mean the way that Jesus interacted with people. And so it's a, it's a different um, kind of idea, and like, we, like standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon and trying to comprehend it. Like, we can't, um, but, but we're going to try. Um, and I'm going to just apologize to Tina over there right now, because... What the the rest of that message, Tina. Good luck, because I'm just gonna we're we're I'm just gonna wing it. Okay, we're just gonna get through. Um, we're, we're gonna get through uh, this. Um, so Jesus says in the in the next um, section, uh, Matthew five forty three and forty four. He says, "You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who who persecute you." So uh, Jesus is quoting from Leviticus 19.18 here. You, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And, and so we go, what's missing? Well, nowhere in, in Leviticus 19 and nowhere in the Hebrew scriptures, you can look the rest of your life. Nowhere will you find a command to hate your enemy. There's lots of commands to love your neighbor. There's no command to hate your enemy. There are lots of examples of people hating their enemy. Um, there, there are lots of examples in Scripture of, of people, even God's people, uh, trafficking in other humans, uh, forcing them into like forced labor, slavery, which, which God said not to do, um, and, and people just being horrible and and treating other people shamefully other people made in the image of God treating them same like, like committing genocide you will find all of those examples of hating your neighbor in in scripture but none of them um, are, are are held up as moral or right actions um, in, in fact eventually each uh, person or group of people who commits those acts against others this unloving acts against others, themselves suffer the wrath of God in a whole bunch of, of, of really um, stinky ways. And so um, we're left with this idea, like, who, who, is our, who is my neighbor? That was the argument in Jesus' day. Okay, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? Surely Matthew is not my neighbor because he is a traitor to the Jewish people and a traitor to God. Like, he's abandoned everything that we hold dear. Like, go back some years in our, in our own country where you could ruin a person, like literally ruin a person's life by calling them a communist. Like they'd be put in jail, they'd lose their job, like it was a terrible situation. Um, and, and so what do we do? Like surely Matthew does not qualify as my neighbor. And, and a Roman soldier, if Matthew doesn't qualify and, and he's an actual Jew by birth, the Roman soldier is absolutely, not, not, he's not a sojourner in Israel, he's an occupier. Right? He's come to, to take over and to change the way we worship and the way we live, and, and none of that um, was good. And so who's a stranger? Well, I, I mean, you could go back to Jesus' teaching about the good Samaritan, right? And he said, who's your neighbor? Like everybody. 
every person that you come in contact with is your neighbor. Every person in the world, like we're connected. Look, look, that person on social media that you just ripped apart because you didn't like what they said, that, that person's your neighbor. Um, and they, no, they don't live next to you and you don't have to see them every day and you may not even know who they are, but the world is connected now. And, and so that person, you have interaction with them, you have the ability to, to be positive in their lives and so the, they're, um, they're your neighbor. And, and Jesus points to really, like again, this is just crazy and we, 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 don't, we don't understand it. Um, Tina, we're gonna go to Matthew uh, 5, 44 and 45. Because here's what Jesus says, is why, why do you love your neighbor? What, what's, the re, what's the reasoning for loving your neighbor and every person that you come, come in contact with? He says, um, love your enemies and pray for those who, who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And that's not, he's not saying you have to love your neighbor in order to gain access to heaven. He's saying if you're going to live as a child of the kingdom, th- this is the behavior for you. Okay, so it's, He's not saying you, you got to do this in order to get into the kingdom. He's saying if you're functioning within the kingdom the way I'm, I'm describing, this is the way that you're going to live. And, and here's why Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's, it's two reasons. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust. Again, no, nobody had ever heard. This is completely ridiculous. J- Jesus says, the reason that you should love your neighbor is because the sun shines and the rain rains. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Jesus, like you, like, uh, I don't know, something's off here. I, so here's, in, uh, Jesus, uh, 30 years, of, like he's been alive about 30 years, and, and Jesus multiple places says, I do only what I see the Father doing. So I, I look to see how the Father is at work in the world and I, and I move towards that. I'm engaged in those same things. And so here's what Jesus observed in his 30 years. He, he noticed that when he was walking down the road um, and, he, and he saw a farm where um, the, the, the trees, the, the orchards, the, the vines, um, all of that was lush and green and produced a lot of, of fruit. Um, he, he wouldn't just look at that and go, oh, that person has this lush um, garden. They must be righteous. They must be following God the way God wants to be followed because God has clearly blessed them with abundant crops and all of these good things. And, and then he walks a little farther down the road and, and he sees another farm, but the, but the results are, are complete. Like the ground is dry and cracked and the, and the fruit is bad and they've got bagworms everywhere. Like it just... It's not good. And he goes, oh, th- this person clearly is not um, pleasing to God. He's not a righteous, good person because obviously God is not blessing him. Like, we don't see that, do we? When you drive down the, the roads in Kansas, what you see is a green cornfield and a green cornfield and a green cornfield. And you have no idea the, the spiritual condition of the person who owns that field, right? And, and so Jesus says, this is how good God is, that he causes the sun and the rain to bless both the good and the evil, both the righteous and the, and the, and the unrighteous. That's how good God is. And, and, and so Jesus says the, the way that we should treat other people is the way that God treats people. And he doesn't look at their lives and go, you're bad and you're good, so I'm going to bless you and I'm not going to bless you. He simply blesses everybody. And he treats everybody the same. Like he doesn't show um, favoritism to, to anyone. And, and, and so, so the, the weather patterns is what he says first for why we should love our, our enemies. Um, and, and then he says, uh, in the next few verses, he says, this is the other reason why you should love your enemies. And he goes on to talk about, um, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Because the tax collectors, sinners, do the same thing. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than anybody else? The, the pagan, the non-Jewish people greet each other in, in the, when they come into the, to the market. You this morning, when you walked in and you came into the building, you, we, we greet 
each other differently, don't we? If you, if you see a friend that you haven't seen for a while, you, you might like, hey, big smile and a big hug. Um, and you see somebody else right next to them and you maybe don't know very good, you, you might go, hey, how you doing? <laughs> right? we, we greet the people that we know and we love, we greet them differently than we greet people that we don't know and love. That, that's just, that's because it would, let's just say, it would be weird, <laughs> right? Yeah, the stranger walks up and goes, oh, hey, I haven't seen you ever. <laughs> Give me a hug. <laughs> it's just we could go, no, that's just crazy. Like you would like be on the phone going, I think there's a stalker here. Uh, crazy. Don't do that. And so, and so Jesus says that the way God provides weather to everybody, and it's the same in the region, um, it, like that's how we should love everybody. And when you look at non-Christian people, they greet each other and they love each other. And so if we just love the ones that we love because they're going to love us, how are we different from anybody else? That's the whole point of what um, Jesus is saying. Jesus is calling those in his kingdom to something more. But that's also going to cost us more. And so Jesus sees agape with, um, with, with two parts. I don't know if you find that, Tina. But Jesus sees agape with um, uh, two parts. The first is, oh, good. The first is our attitude. Jesus says part of this agape, this love, this unconditional uh, no favoritism love it has to do with our attitude how we see other people and we should see other people the way God sees all people like I'm going to bless ev everybody because you never know the blessing of the righteous person will cause them hopefully to continue to, to follow and to love and interact and the blessing of the un unrighteous person may cause them to turn and believe and so I'm going to bless um, everybody, and so it's attitude. And the other um, part of, of agape love is is action. Um, agape is only completed when it's acted upon, and so we have to have the, both our attitude towards others and our actions have to come together. They're they're two sides of the same coin in order to get to this place of agape uh, agape love. And so I heard this quote um, this last week that I think fits really really good. And then we're going to wrap up here. Um, you may, I'm going to read this, and you may recognize it. Um, I'll tell you who it's from at the end. The ultimate weakness of violent retaliation is that it is a descending spiral begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence, you may murder the liar... But you cannot murder the lie. I like that line. <laughs> Nor establish the truth. So you can murder the liar, but the lie is still there, and it doesn't bring you any closer to the truth. So through violence, you may murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> and so it goes. Returning evil for evil multiplies evil, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive, drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. Was Martin Luther King Jr. in a, a thing he wrote called The Strength to love. And so Jesus ends his teaching here, this section that we've been looking at for the last few weeks with this last verse, verse 48, the last verse in the chapter. And he says, you therefore be perfect. <laughs> Your heavenly father is perfect. And we go, well, I'm done then. <laughs> like, no, no more for me. But I, I want you to know that the, the word translated perfect there is teleos, or the Greek word teleos. And, and teleos can also and maybe often is translated as mature and and so um this is how we're going to wrap up the whole the whole thing a mature disciple of jesus somebody who is living the kingdom life and walking in 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 god's ways and following his path and, and is like is is all in a mature disciple is someone whose belief and behavior are in balance someone whose heart and hands 
both honor Jesus. Somebody whose attitudes and actions aspire to a greater call. Being a disciple is difficult because it calls us to this idea of agape. It calls us to love and to look like Jesus did. And we cannot do that on our own. Let's pray. God, thanks for um, loving us when we are un- unlovely and when we are unloving. Um, and, and, and God, I think sometimes I think, ah, oh, you know, I've, I've, I've helped somebody and I've, I've man, I'm, I'm really looking like Jesus today. Uh, and then I have to consider how I respond in attitude and action to the person I don't know who cuts me off in, in traffic or, or pulled into that parking spot that I was waiting for or jumped in line at the grocery store when I just had a few things and I was on my way out. Or God, there's so many situations and circumstances that we find ourselves in where, where, where we feel like we've been attacked verbally or physically and our, our gut response is to respond in kind. And yet you, you have called us to something different, not to passivity and not to retaliation. You've called us to do exactly what you did on the cross. You turn the other cheek and you walk the second mile and instead of asserting your authority and your position and <laughs> your right, you allowed yourself to be killed on a cross for people who hated you. You returned agape for anger. And, and God, this, man, that is so difficult for us. And so we need your Holy Spirit. Um, please help us to live and to look and to agape, to love more like your son Jesus every day. Um, and, and God, that's just our prayer. And we're going to fail and we're going to mess up and we're not going to do it well. Um, but, but we want to try. And so help us to try. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope You'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.